If you're a guest with us, you happen to have joined us when we were in James chapter 3, verse 12. We just, here at Wayside, we just work our way through the scripture. And so um, today we're happen to be at this particular point. Last week um, was a, well, all of James is pretty strong. James doesn't pull any punches. And last week we heard about um, how vile the human tongue is, how harsh our words can be to others, and how, how evil our hearts can be in the way that we express ourselves. And so it's no wonder then that he goes from that to the source of our words, our heart. And there, the, script, the sermon is entitled Two Kinds of Wisdom because in this passage you'll see there's wisdom from above and there's wisdom um, that comes from below. There's two kinds. And that earthly wisdom is a total contrast to heavenly wisdom, and James is going to give us the description. In honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read James chapter 3 from verses 12 through 18. I'm sorry, 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. So who is wise? and understanding among you. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Uh, that last chapter, that last section of chapter three defined wisdom, that this portion we just read defines wisdom as uh, understanding and a righteous living. You know, the, the world, thinks of wisdom, and maybe you and I often think of it as well when we use it in our vocabulary, as, as um, the way to solve problems. Somebody who has a lot of experience and has learned it, and they know the best solution to every situation that they face. But that is not how the Bible uses the word wisdom. In the Bible, wisdom is knowing how to live a righteous life knowing how to respond to circumstances in a righteous way. Uh, there's a section of our scripture called Wisdom Literature, and it starts with Job, and it goes through the Song of Songs. It's all together, uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. You probably know Proverbs and Ecclesiastes as books of wisdom, mostly written by Solomon. 
reading uh, those, you'll find the emphasis of wisdom is applied into how we live. It's the godly response to situations we face. It's not every, understanding everything about a situation, it's doing the right thing in response to the situation. The Bible tells us that wisdom begins with reverence for the Lord. I think it's four times in scripture that it tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we begin to see how awesome and how holy God is and consider his righteous judgments, his authority and power, our, our attitude towards him should be one of deep humility. Humility that he would even consider us. The psalmist says, what is man that you are mindful of him? That greater vision of God causes us to wonder why God would even look upon us. We should be awestruck that he could love us. Recognizing him for who he is reveals how insignificant and unimportant we are and causes us to see the wondrous glory of the gospel. It's, it's his love that gives any value to our lives. The result of a greater vision of God is reverence, which is holy fear. Wisdom begins with conversion, for in conversion we find the wonder of being in Christ. And the scripture tells us he became to us wisdom from God. Taking up residence in us, his Holy Spirit gives us those checks. We call them checks in the spirit that are his wise and gentle directions. We often have no idea why he directs us one way or another, but to be responsive to his leading is always the wise thing to do. If you don't sense his leading or you're unsure what to do, James told us what to do in the first chapter. Chapter one, verse five, he says, ask for wisdom. In prayer, we not only pour out our heart to God, but we listen for his answers and direction. We commit our way to him and trust that if we're in error, he's going to show us, to give us those little checks in the spirit to tell us gently, no, not that way. The answer may come from the still small voice or it may come through circumstances or a sense of peace in your heart. In Colossians chapter three, it says, let that peace be the umpire in your heart, telling you right from wrong. Or a scripture may come to mind and direct you. Wisdom comes from God's word. Reading and meditating on the word imparts wisdom to our souls. It directs us to those right responses and it gives us guidelines on living wisely. James has shown us that living faith results in good works. And in our passage for today, he's telling wisdom also results in good conduct. If a person is truly wise in understanding, it's expressed in works done in the meekness of wisdom, he wrote. Now meekness is self-subduing gentleness. 
I, I used to say meekness is strength under control, but I like this expression better. It came from a commentator named Motier. Meekness is self-subduing gentleness. You, you know how somebody says something and you're ready to respond? It's that gentleness that says, I don't need to, or I shouldn't, or it's not necessary. It's that, that check in the Holy Spirit that says, just don't say anything. Or respond differently, respond graciously. In other words, the person will not boast about his good works, touting them for the respect of men. Instead, we do as Jesus taught, give without letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing. In other words, do it secretly, not for the praise of man, but with as little fanfare as possible. Jesus warned the Pharisees that everything they did was to be seen by men. And he told them, that's your reward, the praise of man. But what we do in secret, Jesus said, is seen by our heavenly Father and that he will repay us in heaven. We get to choose which we prefer, <laughs> but we know reward in heaven is infinitely greater than man's temporal praise. The old nature loves praise. The new nature in Christ just wants to please God for all his goodness towards us. The new nature wants to help others because Jesus' desires have become our desires. That's wisdom, says James. Meekness is not weakness. It's realizing both our littleness and our authority in Christ. It's recognizing how little that we know, but it's also recognizing whose we are. It's knowing the power of Christ in us and the weakness of our flesh. Yet it's not compromising to get along. It's never indecisive, nor shies away from the truth. Barclay called it a word with a caress. Verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and become false to the truth. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are signs of what James calls worldly wisdom. It's the opposite of biblical wisdom as we see, we'll, we will see as we go along, the fruits are completely different. James began the chapter addressing the desire to be a teacher, and he may have witnessed teachers in the church that put themselves in the position because of jealousy or, or selfish ambition. And by the way, that word selfish ambition, it, it comes from a Greek word that means factious or factions. In other words, they, they try to pull a part of, of the church after themselves. Here at Wayside, I think we all have never only had elders who didn't feel they were up to the role, but they were willing to serve. The only time we had someone who wanted the role was because of selfish ambition. Humility is a sign of spiritual maturity. Wisdom cannot always be seen outwardly because it's a matter of the heart, although it does result in actions. 
Two individuals can do the same thing, but for very different reasons. One day I can serve out of love for my Lord and others, and the next day I can complain and whine because it's my duty to do something, but my heart's not in it. Nevertheless, I do it because of the expectation of others. If we prefer our reward in heaven, recognize that we have a self to serve, a desire to serve others because we're in Christ. And we can bring any desire that's otherwise, a self-serving desire, we can bring it to him and ask him to help us change our attitude and our motivations. And, and I find it when I, I see my heart is in that mode of, I'm just doing this for me, it's all about me, I find it helps to recognize how gracious that God has been to me. To think back over how his love has been shown to me. And then I ask for his desire to fill my heart and I listen to praise music and before I know it, my whole demeanor changes. There are other times though when I just go my merry way and regret it. I struggle with the flesh because the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. But as I start doing what I know I should, I start to find the joy in doing and that God answers that as I step out in faith with that strength that I need and the joy that I need in doing it, changing my heart. But even then I cannot boast because it's the grace of God that helps me carry through. And I'd be false to the truth if I described it differently, which is to say we'd be lying. <laughs> Those leaders that James, that James warned in the first verse of the chapter who boast that their wisdom, it, they are in fact denying the truth. The factions they form are works of the flesh. They try to have people follow them rather than Jesus. As Jesus said to the Pharisees, everything you do is to be seen of men. It's true of them as well. Verse 15, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition does not come from biblical wisdom. It's not from God. It's earthly, meaning of this world, animal-like, the fallen nature. It's unspiritual, or we could say it's carnal. But worst of all, it's demonic. Fallen angels love to inspire this in us. And that's because it has the effect that they desire division and self-centered living. Man is even proud of this earthly wisdom and boasts about it. And when I lived in another culture, um, I was asked to start an English as a second language class in a, in a passive solar building that I had designed for a friend of mine. And at the time, that, that was my job, teaching English. And I found, I found a number of interested students, and so I started a class and rented that space in their building like they requested. And then one day, the owner of the building said they found a new teacher to take over the class. They wanted both the rent 
and the income from the students. The situation had benefited both of us, but they decided they wanted all the benefit. I was baffled, I felt betrayed. To that person's surprise, I called all the students and moved the class to another location. But sadly, I represented earthly wisdom. I didn't show them the grace of God, but acted just as an unspiritual as that person did. I sunk to their level, in other words. Had I responded with godly wisdom, I would have been peaceable, gentle, and full of mercy. It would have left an impression on that person of the grace of God. When I ask another person in that culture why someone would do something so underhanded like that, they told me, oh, that's wise. I didn't realize that culture considered that kind of act wisdom. What we call greedy or clever, in that culture they called wise. But James has described it here as earthly wisdom. You know, a lot of times when we deal with the world and the world acts like the world, we wonder why they don't act like Christians. Isn't that silly? We should expect them to act like the world. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Jealousy and selfish ambition, that me first, anything to get ahead motives. It's the cutthroat world of climbing the corporate ladder or, or craving financial gain. We've seen that recently that crypto scam that robbed people of billions of dollars. Leading, leaving investors destitute in its wake. I've heard of, a, of accounts in churches of these investment schemes and that really were Ponzi schemes and little old ladies mortgaging their houses for extra income and ending up destitute. James says, demonic. But most of the time, jealousy and selfish ambition, ambition are much more subtle power play in the church to see who's going to get the votes to have their way and, and maintain control. Politicians who twist the truth or outright lie about their opponents. Earthly wisdom is how the world operates, and we should expect that. We shouldn't be surprised. It's a, a major driving force in everyone's carnal nature. We should expect it from fallen man. James tells us that these forces bring disorder and every vile practice. We've all observed the truth of his declaration from the adulterer who seduces another man's wife to the developer who doesn't pay his naive contractor. It's the way of the world. What is surprising is when the wisdom from above is seen in the midst of this fallen world. That gets people's attention because that's unusual. Worldly wisdom does the most damage when it splits churches. I think this is where the devil most delights in stirring up jealousy and selfish ambition because sheep like to follow a shepherd. And a self-asserting, prideful teacher can easily sway opinions and spread dissatisfaction while promising to, to deliver something better. 
like the account of Absalom, David's son. They sit in judgment over situations only to give advice that gains them followers. And then when they think they have sufficient following, they begin their coup. If they cannot have the whole church, they'll take as many as they can and start something new where they are the sole authority. And it happens all too often. They leave the former church with the debt they voted to incur, whether it's a building commitment or missions. Pride, envy, and selfish ambition should have no place in the church. When we see it, we should squelch it before it spreads like a cancer. It is from below. If not confronted, it will damage and possibly destroy the church. I think we've only seen little attempts at this maybe twice in 21 years. Thankfully, many churches face it far more often. Either way, it harms the testimony of the church in the city. And those who engage in such destruction will answer to God, as we saw in the first verse of this chapter. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So how do we keep this earthly wisdom from destroying our testimony and that of the church? We counter it with the wisdom that comes from above. Let us first note that this wisdom is not natural to us. It comes from God who gives us a new nature when we are in Christ, a nature like his own. First, it is pure. Moral purity must be a priority for those who would be wise. There's no deception, no hidden agendas. There's not even mixed motives. You know, for a while, the church went through this phase of friendship evangelism. An idea uh, that we get to know people and we become their friends so we can earn the right to be heard. It's a nice sentiment. But if we become friends with the only the motivation of seeing them converted, and then we abandon them when they don't, or if they reject our witness, we've gone into the relationship with mixed motives. And then they feel you just wanted to convert them and never really cared about them. True friendship endures. It may be years before they're ready to hear your witness. Wisdom from above is pure. And I believe that means we don't wear a mask. We're our true selves in Christ. We do what we do just because we love Jesus, our Lord. And what people see is what they get. Selfishness has no foothold. Our love should be genuine. James had apparently given much thought to the arrangement of the remaining six characteristics. So first it's pure, but the re remaining six uh, are artfully ordered so that, that in Greek, the first four begin with an E sound and the last two with a pleasant A sound and the last two have an almost metrical rhyming to them. 
he wanted his followers to remember that this is wisdom. It's as if he, he was hoping that they would memorize these qualities of the wisdom that comes from above. That wisdom from above is peaceable and gentle, which is unlike worldly, worldly peace. We may discuss differences, but we do not agree to prove, well, I'm sorry, we don't argue to prove that we're right. We don't raise our voice when others do. We truly want the best for others no matter where they're coming from or what kind of attitude they have. Peace and gentleness are also two fruits of the Spirit. We're at peace because we have peace with God and we humble ourselves to have peace with man. We're blessed because peacemakers are called the children of God. We're gentle because we long for them to receive the words of truth, and we know how gentle the Lord has been with us when we were in rebellion. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, Paul said in Romans 2.4. Paul told the Philippians that they should let their gentleness be known to all, Philippians 4.5. And we should make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, Ephesians 4.3. We should make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification, Romans 14.19. Godly wisdom is open to reason. You know, I, I find the things of God to be quite logical. Now there's mysteries, but... Most, for the most part, everything just seems quite logical. And logic tells me the description of mankind is true because it's what I observe in the world around me, fallen people. That chance and time created order and beauty and complexity is illogical to me. When people are truly seekers, I enjoy answering their questions from the Bible because the logic is often quite clear. And in the same way, when someone tells me I've misinterpreted a passage and they share why from Scripture, I want to be open to reason. When I was in a cult, this was decades ago, 45, 50 years ago, my brother-in-law wrote me a letter and he asked me to keep an open mind. Now, it really bothered me. Why would he tell me to keep an open mind? And then it bothered me that I was bothered about that expression. <laughs> you see, the Holy Spirit was working through that expression. And when I began to see the bad fruit from the cult's teaching in my own life and in the lives of others in the group, being open to reason led me to freedom. Our reasoning may be right or wrong, but if we are open to, the reason, to reason and to God's word, if we're seeking the truth, we can be sure if you seek, you will find. Godly wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. We express compassion towards others because we know how merciful that God has been to us. And that means that like the Good Samaritan, we bear the good works that result from compassion. We're to do unto others as we would have them do to us. 
Wisdom from above is also impartial and sincere. Now, James has hammered home how hypocritical it is for Christians to show partiality already in chapter 2. Our flesh, you know, will give us all kinds of reasons why our situation is an exception, but don't listen to it. Keep that golden rule in mind. And remember the potential of every person to become a son or daughter of God. Sincerity conveys, you know, when you're talking to someone, you can just see sincerity or insincerity. People usually sense if you're really listening and if you truly care. They read it in our tone, in the expression on our faces. They must know how much we care before they care how much we know. Sometimes I must remind myself, Jesus died for this person I'm talking to. And he longs for that person to know him. It means to put aside our immediate concerns and focus just on that individual. Verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Some commentators believe verse 18 was a common saying in that day. If so, it's an inspired one. Earthly wisdom with its jealousy and selfish ambition is bound to end up in strife and will therefore never know peace and the resulting righteousness. On the other hand, when one trusts the sovereignty of God and, and forgive and allow others to have the last word because they because we trust in God, there can be peace in their hearts and in their lives, which results in a harvest of righteousness. We should face the confrontations in life, asking ourselves how we can be an instrument of God's peace. How can we bring shalom into a situation? Knowing we, 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 that we reap what we sow can be a great motivator for that. If I sow peace, I'm going to reap peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Godly wisdom will sow peace and light into conversations. And that will result, James is saying here, in a harvest of righteousness. So listen to the promptings of the Spirit as to how to sow peace. Sometimes it's simply a kind humble, sincere response. Other times it's just to remain silent. And sometimes it's gentle but clear rebuke out of love or a pointed question that will stay with them long after the conversation has ended. And remember, resistance toward Christianity is often because someone experienced um, a painful situation in a church. They saw something that was not Christ-like. And you can always agree with them on that. But then point them to Jesus, whose testimony is what we really want to share. James has set before us two very different, world-apart different kinds of wisdom, earthly and that which is from above. One, that earthly one and the spiritual one. One is demonic, the other is from God. We'd like to think that we're always operating in the latter. 
But if we're honest, we'll recognize that we always need to be vigilant to walk in the Spirit rather than the flesh. And the more we walk in fellowship with Jesus and his word in prayer, the more we will desire to experience the peace of our Savior and the more uncomfortable we'll be when we give in to the flesh. The contrast couldn't have been made clear here by James. We can be earthly, unspiritual, demonic, jealous, selfishly ambitious, and cause disorder, or we can be pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. If we're in Christ, we can choose the latter and reap a harvest of righteousness. Choose this day, Joshua said, whom you will serve. Only in Christ can we truly live out the wisdom that comes from above. Will you pray with me right now? Confessing that we too often lack godly wisdom and ask God to grant us the wisdom that comes from above. Remember that fifth verse in the first chapter that if we ask for wisdom, God who gives generously to all will without reproach give it to us. So let's claim that promise right now. Let's go before the throne of grace for this need. Lord, I just thank you so much for James' straightforward, clear teaching of right and wrong. And Lord, we're so grateful that as we celebrated early, our, our sins are covered because of what you've done for us. But because of what you've done for us, we wanna walk in the spirit. We wanna sow peace. We wanna have that wisdom that's from above and operate in the spirit and not in the flesh. So according to your promise in James 1 verse five, we ask for godly wisdom that we might know how to respond to the situations we face, that we might be able and love to respond to the people that we talk with, even when they're harsh or, or rude or, or ignorant. Lord, help us to hear from you and sow peace. Help us to hear that wisdom from above and receive it and act on it. And Lord, when we are tempted to respond quickly with the flesh, Lord, check us. Give us those strong checks in the spirit and help us be obedient. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you for help and that you're always ready to give it. We praise you and thank you and look forward to your answer to this prayer in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Jill, would you lead us in a closing song? And then I'll give the benediction.